Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining with us today. Uh, my name is Duncan, if we haven't met before. Um, I serve as the pastor here, and we're delighted that you've come to worship the Lord together with us today. There really is no greater thing that a human being can be engaged in than worshiping God, their Creator. And the Bible tells us that there is coming a day when God's people will be with Him in heaven, and it is the worship of God that will occupy them all the time. We're given a glimpse of this in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 19. John records this. He says, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, or praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. And it's as if those words in heaven echo here today, calling us to come, let us rejoice and give Him the glory. God is our Creator, and as we're going to think about as our service goes on today, God is our Redeemer, and all the redeemed must worship. Okay, our junior church have been uh, learning a little bit last week about the book in the Bible called Judges. And it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a book of the Bible that tells of a very, very difficult time in Israel's history, a time before they had a king when people did whatever they wanted, whatever was right in their own eyes. And the book of Judges tells of how when, when, when people turned their backs on God, God handed them over to their enemies. And then life became so hard that eventually they cried out to God for help. And God answered their prayers and sent a rescuer, a judge who was able to defeat the enemy and free the people. Just beckon some more people in here. And so today we're going to learn a bit about one of those judges, a man called Gideon. In Gideon's day, the nation was conquered by the Midianites. They were strong. They would devour all of Israel's crops and they bossed Israel for seven years. But Israel cried out to the Lord, and God raised up Gideon. And we're going to read today of how Gideon defeated the Midianites. And Michelle is going to come and give us our first Bible reading today in the story of Gideon. Thank you, Michelle. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hands have saved me. Thank you. High tissue. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. 
and any of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into him his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. Amen. Thank you very much. Um, Alan's going to put a, a picture up on the, on the wall for us. We're going to play a little game of uh, who do you want in your team, Okay. Who do you want in your team? We're going to set you some challenges, and then we're going to give you two options of what you can, who you can choose or what you can choose to have in your team. So if you wanted to win the uh, Premier League trophy, you're going to need a football team, right? So I'm going to show you two different athletes, and you tell me which one you want in your team. Thank you, Alan. <laughs> Athlete A or athlete B? Do we have any votes for A? Okay, any votes for B? Yeah, good. I, I hear he's good at uh, keeping dressing room morale high. Uh, yeah, you're going to choose A, right? You want to choose someone who's, uh, these are different types of athletes, one who's trained to play football and one who doesn't look like he is. Okay, let, let's see the next challenge. All right, if you're going to sail from Britain to America, all the way across the Atlantic, however many thousands of miles. What do you want in your team? 
Boat A or boat B? Any votes for A? Yes. Spotting the contrarians in the room. Any votes for boat B? Okay, boat B wins it because you want the one that is biggest, strongest, the one that's most powerful, the one that's going to endure the waves. Okay, challenge number three. Okay, you've been asked to build a new bridge over the River D. What kind of materials do you want in your team? Thank you. Do you want uh, steel? I've been waiting all week to say this. Steel girders? Or do you want marshmallows? Okay, votes for the girders. A, votes for A. That's pretty strong. Anyone voting for B? The usual, the usual suspects. Okay, you want the thing that's strong, the thing that's well suited to the task. I think we've got one more challenge, do we? Okay, you're going to color in this beautiful elephant. Which materials are you going to use? A or B? Votes for A? Yeah, yeah, thought so. Votes for B? Yeah, you want the thing that's going to, well, do something. You're just going to end up with a black splodge, aren't you? You see, because when it comes to getting things done, we want to pick the most skillful, the strongest, the best suited to the task. That's how we choose things, isn't it? Whether that's to color in a picture or build a bridge or in Gideon's case, to win a battle. He had called for the men of Israel to come to form an army, as many as they could. And what kind of men do you think he would want Anyone under 12 can answer. What kind of men do you think Gideon would want? Yes. What's that? Okay, that's a vague answer. Anyone got? Yes. Strong men, definitely. Anything else? What kind of skills do you think they would have or should have? Maybe good at uh, wielding a sword, something like that. Well, so Gideon had put out that call and he got an army of 32,000 men. I mean, just think how big that is, 32,000 men. Because the more men you have, the more likely you are to win. But God had other ideas. God looked on at Gideon's army and God said, there's too many, too many. How can you have too many? Okay. So God says to Gideon, well, tell all the people who are fearful and trembling that they can go home. Now, even skillful people are fearful and trembling before they go into a battle. And so 22,000 of them go home, and he's left with 10,000 in the army. Still a big army, but God looks on and says to Gideon, it's still too big, still too many. So how would you choose who stays and who goes? Well, some of those things that we mentioned, we want people who are strong, who are skillful. Maybe they could do an arm wrestling contest to see who could stay, who could go. But God doesn't do anything like that. Here's how they were chosen. How they drank their water. How they drank their water. They're taken down to the river, and most of them, I can't believe I'm going to do this, most of them got down on their hands and knees and they stuck their face right down into the water like that. <laughs> the sensible ones scooped down, took the water into their hands, 
and drank it like that. You don't get so much, I guess, but it's a little bit more dignified, wasn't it? And God said, the ones who scoop the water into their hands, they're the ones to keep. And do you know how many were left? 300. Only 300 left out of 32,000. Why would God choose them like that? I mean, some people think uh, God chose them like that because, you know, the people who scooped up the water, they were attentive, always looking for the enemy. There's nothing like that about it. The Bible tells us in, in, in the verse uh, that Michelle started with, in verse 2, God says to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. God wants it to be clear that he is the one who's going to give them victory. If they'd gone into battle with 32,000 and won, they would have said, well, it's because we were big and strong. But when they go into battle with 300, well, that's a different matter. And this is a pattern that repeats throughout Israel's history. And the book of Judges repeats it time and time again. And in fact, the greatest rescue of all follows this pattern as well. In Jesus' day, people were waiting for a rescuer, one who would be a mighty warrior because Israel in Jesus' day was being bossed by the Romans and had been for a long time. And so the rescuer God sent was his son, Jesus. People tried to put a sword in his hand, and there was a time when 5,000 men were ready to be part of an army behind him. But Jesus accepted none of that, and instead... He was rejected by his people and nailed to die on a cross. There's nothing weaker than that. Your rescuer dying on a cross? But that is precisely what God used to rescue. Not from being bossed by the Romans, but rescued from sin and death and the devil. The cross looks very weak. But it's there that Jesus died in the place of sinners like you and me, so that we could be forgiven our sins and know God. And God confirmed all of this by raising Jesus from the dead on the third day, so that all who believe in him will find rescue from their sin. Now, this can be hard for us to take in, just as it was hard for Gideon to take in. He'd just seen more than 99% of his army go off home. But God knows what Gideon needs. In verse 10, God says to Gideon, if you're afraid to go down, uh, I think God knew Gideon was afraid to go down. If you're afraid to go down, of course he's afraid to go down. Then here's what you can do. Take your servant and go down, sneak up on the camp and listen to what they're saying. So they do. And at first, it must have been terrifying. I mean, what did we read there? In verse um, 11, they went down uh, to see these armed men. All the people, verse 12, they looked like locusts in abundance. Their camels were without number. And here's Gideon thinking, we just got 300 guys up the hill. But Gideon heard something. He heard one man in the camp telling another man about a dream he'd had. This is what the dream was. He said, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, came to the tent, and 
struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And the friend answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon. A man of Israel, God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. God was giving this confirmation to Gideon that the battle was his. And even the enemy knew about it. You know, barley bread, which what the man saw in the dream, was the cheapest bread of all. And it was this weak barley bread that tumbled down the hill and destroyed the tent. Well, that's Gideon and his 300 men. Weak. But God was going to use them to destroy the enemy. And so as Gideon was reminded of the promise, he was filled with confidence, ran back to the camp, and got the men ready for battle. It's so easy for Christians at times to lose their confidence. Often we can only see our own weakness, our own failures. Christians get things wrong a lot of the time. Sometimes we make big mistakes and we wonder how we could ever be good enough for God. But God understands what we need, just like he understood what Gideon needed. And he gives us some precious things to reassure us that victory really does belong to those who trust in Jesus. These are the things that turn us away from our weakness and looking to Jesus. So coming here on a Sunday is one of the things that God gives us to help us, to remind us of who Jesus is and all he's done. He has given us bread and wine to remember that Jesus died on the cross and that that is what gives us our rescue from sin. And he's given us his word, which we're thinking about today and we'll be thinking about tonight. It gives us his promises. Gideon returns to the camp. He's heard this encouraging news. And here's what happens next. Verse 16 of Judges 7. He divided the 300 men into three companies, put trumpets in the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me. And do likewise, when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets, smashed the jars that were in their hands Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow and they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army." And so just like that, Gideon on behalf of Israel is granted the victory and not even by the special skill of his 300 men, but entirely by God's intervention. This small army, they break clay pots, carry torches, and blow trumpets. All of that was enough to send the Midian army into a panic. And in their confusion, they attacked each other with their swords. 
And this is how the war was won. Not with the sword, but with horns and torches. We mentioned already that this is the sort of pattern that God uses to accomplish his purposes, using weak and seemingly foolish things to accomplish great things for his glory. And we thought, didn't we, of just how ultimately weak and how ultimately foolish looking the cross of Jesus Christ is. But I think we must remember that it doesn't stop there. It's not just the theory of the weak cross that Christians need to grasp. It's the lived reality of that day by day. The people of God still do not live a victorious life because of their strength, but only because of God's power at work in us by His Spirit. Often Christians are fighting the wrong battles. The Apostle Paul would write in the New Testament, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, he's saying the conflict that Christians are engaged in is not a worldly one. We're not fighting against people. We're not trying to build an army to conquer a nation. It's not even a political battle that we're engaged in. It is not the sort of battle that will require us to lead a violent rebellion. No, the call to follow Jesus is one that is a spiritual battle. And even our success in following Jesus is not dependent upon some worldly status and power And we should be mighty relieved about that because the church in Scotland today has next to no status or power. Paul also wrote, though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Divine power. It's the same power that saves us, the same power that is unleashed as Jesus Christ dies on the cross and is raised from the dead. That power is the message of a crucified Savior. And so the battle that God's people are in is not in the flesh, it's spiritual. We have a message that the world so often does not want to hear a message about human sinfulness. So sinful are we that we needed the bloody death of the Son of God to rescue us. It's a message that demands that everyone believe in Jesus and give full allegiance to Him. And as unpopular as that message might be, it is the only message we have. The only tactic that God has given us with the promise that it will transform someone's life. And that has some serious implications for what it means for us to be the church and embrace this pattern of how God works, that He uses the weak things, even the foolish things, to accomplish His purposes. It means that faithfulness to Jesus is more important to us than popularity in the world. It means that numbers in a church 
are not necessarily a reliable marker of how well a church is doing. And it is, and it means that a healthy church is one that says, even though we wish we were bigger, even though we wish we were richer, even though we wish we were more popular, even though we wish we had a louder voice, we will not give up. We will keep going because we know that God uses what seems to be weak to accomplish great things for him. Now, I should say that's not an excuse for us being content with small things and certainly should never be an excuse for us being obnoxious. We want to see this community that we're in one for Jesus Christ. And so we do what Jesus has called us to do. We must tell others about him. That involves doing something. After all, Gideon's men did have to break the jars. They did have to blow the trumpets. And that seemed foolish in the face of a Midianite army. And so for us, we serve others. We speak to others. We reach out to others as weak people holding out the most powerful message that the world has ever heard. The Apostle Paul, one final time, he said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's the lesson that Gideon learned. Stripped of all worldly power, 99.1% of the army goes home. And he learns that actually it's when he's weak, then he is strong. Oh, that we would be, in that sense, a weak church, trusting in the power of Christ as we serve him, unashamed of the gospel, for though it may be despised and seem foolish for its weakness, we are convinced because we know that it is the power of God to salvation for all who believe, even you and even me.